0: John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would work through the preaching of your word in a powerful way. Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray for the lost, that you would please open their eyes to the truth of your word. I pray for the prodigals, God, that you would bring them back to the memory of, of who you are and what you have done. And I pray for those who are believers, Lord, that you would breathe a revival in our hearts where maybe life has gotten in the way and we become dull in our spirit. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your spirit and use this time to glorify your name. Help me to be spirit-led in all things, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, he is risen. Are you sure about that? Really? You're sure about it? Because every thinking person sometimes wrestles with doubt. Think about it. An atheist or an agnostic thinking, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? I have a friend of mine who's an atheist, and, and I said, if you play the odds, I'm always going to win, and you're always going to be in trouble. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, because if there is no God, I die, and I'm in the ground. If there is, I'm spending eternity in heaven with him. If, when you die and you're right, it's no loss. But if I'm right, you're in trouble. Every thinking person sometimes wrestles with doubt, even believers, you know? What if Christianity isn't true? What, what about this or that? We have these questions in our hearts. I know the enemy stirs those things up in believers' hearts all the time. Every Christian goes through battles with doubt. Maybe they are difficult theological issues that you wrestle with. I know there's some that I wrestle with. They 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 cause you to think. As I said, every thinking person wrestles with doubt, and you know it's the theological issues that you say, "Well, I, I I don't understand this God. If you're loving, then why?" And we fill in the blank, whatever that might be. Sometimes the doubt comes in because we have unanswered prayer. We have prayed and we have prayed and we have prayed and we have prayed in what we feel is the center of God's will and maybe the exact opposite of what we were praying for happened. And you start wondering, really? Maybe it is um, just intense trials that you're going through. I think of John the Baptist. What does he do? He's locked up, right? He's facing death and he sends some of his disciples to go talk to Jesus and say, are you the one that's supposed to come? Well, he proclaimed that Jesus was the one who was supposed to come. He had these doubts because he was facing difficult, intense times, and he knew it. He was struggling. He was struggling with doubt. And it's amazing how suffering can cause us to doubt. You know, God, do you really love me? This is what happened. Tragedy, when tragedy hits. Where are you, God? Are you there? Do you exist? And then somebody dies, especially whom you would consider innocent in a tragic way that it seems like evil has won and you just go, really God, you're supposed to be all powerful and this happened? We struggle with those things and I, I think that if someone is a sincere doubter, they do not want to doubt, but they're plagued with honest questions. They're struggling with it. And the picture-perfect person when we think of doubting is Thomas, isn't it? We call him Doubting Thomas. He's known historically as Doubting Thomas. When somebody questions something, oh, you Doubting Thomas... So we're going to go back to Doubting Thomas and find out what was going on with Thomas. I mean, here's a guy who spent three years with Jesus, saw miracles, one thing after the next. The dead raised. Food multiplied, miracles, healing, blind people getting sight, lame people walking. He he heard the preaching, and yet he was just struggling. He was just struggling at this time. And I'm trying to go through and find some of the reasons maybe why his doubts were there. And maybe you can relate to these as we go down the line and see some of them. Um, Thomas's failure when Jesus was arrested was when you couple that with his personality, that may have triggered some of his doubts. Take a look at God's word. John eleven sixteen. 16, this is doubting Thomas. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Doesn't sound like he's doubting there, does it? He's saying if Jesus is going to go to this city and die, then let us go with him. And then we find Mr. Peter Matthew 26, 33 through 35. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Wow. They'll promise their loyalty. We're in this till the end, Jesus, no matter what. They proclaimed their loyalty. They promised that they would be with Jesus till the very end. Maybe you can relate to that in your past. You made a promise. Nope, I'm going to be right there with you, Jesus. I'll never walk away. I'll never struggle. They promised their loyalty to Jesus, but they deserted him in his time of need. When he was arrested and at his trial. You know, I need you to know this that there's no failure, no matter how great you think it is, there's no failure, no matter how bad, that can separate you from the love of Christ. And that's evidenced in his disciples. They made a lot of promises, they saw a lot of things, and yet they were struggling, they ran away. And Thomas in particular, for whatever reason, it seems like his failure on that night really affected him more deeply, it seems, than Peter. I think Peter, I love Peter. He's my favorite of the disciples because he was such a screw-up. I really mean that. I mean, Peter was the one that would just, when you think about him, he's the one that hopped out of the boat, right? Jesus said, hey, you know, Come to me. And Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. Everybody remembers that he sank. Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. And Jesus reaches down and, and saves him. And Peter's this guy that he's just going full bore and he's going to do it. You know, I'll never deny you. And I'll, all these types of things. And he kept screwing up. But by God's grace, he kept bouncing back. I think Peter had a different personality than Thomas. I think Peter was just uh, kind of built to. Give it a shot, and if it doesn't work, well, that's okay. I'll try again. I think Thomas had a little bit of a different personality. Maybe, just maybe, that personality had a deeper effect on his response to Christ dying. Take a look at God's word again, going back to John chapter 20, 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know why he wasn't there. Maybe he had a family and he was taking care of his kids. I don't know. But he wasn't there. Maybe it was because he was so wrecked by what happened that he was isolating himself. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, now think about this. We have seen the Lord. You're the one guy that wasn't there. You're Thomas. You're the one guy, and everybody's saying, this is great, Tay Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. And you're, you're wrecked by what just happened. You're just absolutely wrecked. And you don't have the advantage of seeing the risen Christ. Not only that, but you're feeling like they're the ones that are being blessed and not me. Why did they get to see him and not me? Nah, it can't be. And so Thomas's response is but I. But he said to them, "Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and then place my fingers into the mark of his nails of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." Thomas was obviously traumatized by Jesus' death. Obviously traumatized. Like I said, maybe maybe he was isolating because he was he was sulking over the horrible events he just saw. His Good friend, brutally crucified. I watched um, The Passion of the Christ last night. Wow. Whew. Wrecked me for three hours. Three hours. And I was thinking about the sermon, thinking, this is just depicted. What must have the real thing looked like? And Thomas saw that? I'm getting wrecked watching a movie. Thomas saw it in real life, and in the movie, and there's no way it can be close to what happened. And so Thomas is traumatized by this event that happened to his good friend. You know, I think sometimes um, we can see that isolating, especially when you're depressed, stepping away from fellowship, can deepen our doubts. We pull back. I can't handle it. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I need some space. Is what we say, and we're hurting, and we got a million questions, and so we pull away and we isolate. And what happens is our doubts just get deeper and multiply. Because we need to have people. That's why we need the body of Christ. That's why God calls us His body. We need each other to lift each other up. And those times when our faith is shaken, are are times when. The world doesn't make sense when we feel like God isn't there and everything is out of control. We need each other. And we see that with Thomas, there was deep disappointment and shock from the tragedy and the unexpected result. All that added to Thomas's doubts. And I say that because you notice how he focused on the wounds when he's saying, I won't believe until I put my finger in his hands and in his side. Clearly this guy was traumatized. I speak a lot about uh, uh, Carissa's murder because it affected our whole family and, and it, it impacted us in so many ways, even in this message. And I think that as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, Here, here's Thomas and he's saying, you know, unless I put my fingers in, the, in, in his nail wounds and in his side. I mean, this, this guy was traumatized by what he saw. It affected him deeply. A great tragedy to someone whom he really loved and didn't understand what was happening. And brothers and sisters, it's, just, it's a very short step from tragedy or intense trials to doubting Jesus. It's a very short step. Hard things happen. There's no explanation. And it's so easy to move into that doubting Christ. That's why I was ministering when I was ministering to my sister. I kept pointing her back to Jesus because it's a hard time. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you address that? And it's so easy to take a tragedy like that that makes no sense. Someone close to you and All of a sudden, you're doubting. You're doubting. That's how the enemy fights. He fights dirty. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of God. And so when tragedy hits or intense trials, it's easy to move into doubting what you believe, doubting who you believe. And Thomas had this shock of his friend being crucified, the trauma that was tied into his heart with that, his feelings of failure that he didn't do what he said he was going to do. He failed Jesus in his moment of need. All these things are piling up. And added to that was this disappointed expectation that he had. A disappointed expectation that was wrapped around his lack of understanding what the Bible said. He had a lack of understanding what the Bible said, which just multiplied his struggle, his doubts. What was was his misunderstanding of Scripture? He thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he thought the Messiah was coming as a conquering king. He didn't think Jesus was going to die. He thought he was coming to set up his kingdom he misunderstood God's word. It was right there in front of him, and he misunderstood it. And that added to his doubts. Whoa, whoa wait a minute. The word says, the Old Testament says, that you're going to be a conquering king. That's not what it says. That's how he read it. And he struggled with that. He struggled with that. Take a look at God's word again. John 14, 3 through 6. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I am going. Look at this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He didn't understand. And Jesus responds in one of the greatest statements in the entire word of God. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Thomas didn't get it. And look at, he wasn't the only one. John 20, 8 through 9. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what the word of God was. They misinterpreted what God's word was, and because of that, it caused doubt in Thomas's heart. I don't get this. This makes no sense to me. Why? Limited doctrinal understanding. Limited doctrinal understanding or a wrong perspective, Uh, man's perspective, can make us feel like God doesn't care or that he's gone. I don't get it. You look at the prosperity preachers. Everything if you come to know Christ, everything is going to be fine. You will never struggle with health issues again. You will never struggle with poverty issues again. You will have an abundant life completely. And that and defined by that person is you have enough cash to do what you want to do. You got enough health so that you're never feeling bad. And so what happens? You believe that lie. You believe that doctrine. And so what happens is you get sick and the doctor knocks on your door and says, you have cancer. And the response is, I don't receive that. And then as you're struggling towards the end, you believe that, wait a minute, I have the abundant life, I'm never supposed to get sick. So either what I believe is wrong, see what I'm saying? Or God isn't what I was told he was like. You see, Thomas and the disciples had a misunderstanding of Scripture. They didn't understand what it said. And so they were struggling. They were expecting a Messiah that would come and conquer and set up his kingdom now. And because that didn't happen, it affected him and he's w- I don't get this. This is this doesn't make sense to me. I was taught this. This is what I thought was going to happen. That the Bible says it. And he had a misunderstanding of scripture and he had the wrong perspective. It was all about him. Instead of about Jesus, about God. A God-centered gospel instead of a man-centered gospel. What can cause us to go there? We have the wrong perspective because the death of a loved one happens and we don't understand it. We don't understand it. We go, this makes no sense. God, you know, Billy Joel had a song, Only the Good Die Young. And we almost use that as our philosophy of life. You know, it shouldn't be like that, it's the opposite. Something happens, a tragic event happens, and and our theology jumps in, and it seems like it's contradicting theology that we understand. And so we're, we're battling this issue that this happened, but this is what I believe theology says, and this is inconsistent with the word of God. It's inconsistent with what I believe. It's inconsistent with my heart. and we wrestle, and we struggle. It's a prayer that is not answered. As I said, that is, you're absolutely convinced it's 100% within the will of God, and you have this theological belief that it has to be answered, and it has to be answered in this way, because this is the will of God. And so now, it doesn't happen that way, and we're questioning it all. We're questioning this, this entire situation but we looked at it from a human perspective and we said, this is God's will because this is how I see it to be God's will. And then something completely different happens and we say, is God's will wrong? Did I not pray right? And all these doubts come in. They struggle, they cause us to battle with what's happening in our lives. When God works in ways we do not understand, it can lead us to doubt God's love. All these battles that happen, doubt cropping up all over, popping in here or there for a moment. Sometimes those struggles, those battles with doubt are short, sometimes they're long. I can tell you how I resolve those questions, those doubts. You say, you have doubts? Yeah, of course. The enemy comes and whispers in my ear just like he does everyone else. There's things that, that I wrestle with theologically and things that I don't understand that are happening. And sure, doubts can come in. So where do I go? How do I stabilize myself? How do I come to that place of believing instead of doubting. When I cannot resolve doctrinal questions or tragedies that happen, and I struggle with doubt, here's what I do. I fall back on this historical event that happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I fall back on that every time. I fall back on it because either it's true or it's not. Take a look at God's word. John 6, 65 through 69. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. We see the sovereignty of God there. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They had a problem with his theology. Can't handle that. Nope. I'm done, I'm out. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Dan answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where am I going to go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. Wow in 1 Corinthians 15:14. And if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's why I got to keep coming back to a historical event. No other religion can do that. I come back to the evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And this message isn't going to be spending the rest of it laying out all that information. I'm not going to do that. If you're here, you probably heard it all anyway. But there was, in fact, a man named Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, that lived on this earth. History proves it. And he did things so phenomenal, unexplainable, even to the atheist, that all of time is rated according to his life, either before Christ or after. Or now they cheated and they say the common era. We know what they mean. He was God in the flesh who came because of our sin. And there was nothing we could do to get it right with God. Not a thing. So God in his love sent his son to earth. Fully God, fully man, lived perfectly without sin in thought, word, or deed. And then went to the vicious, vicious cross. And our sin, all the believer's sins were imputed to him. In other words, God counted that as if they were Jesus. And he was punished for our sin and then he died on the cross all historical fact and 3 days later he rose from the dead historical fact historical fact he rose from the dead the father saying debt paid in full i am going to impute christ's righteousness to all who would believe and that is fact in history that that there was an empty tomb fact and dance around it all you want well we don't really have anybody that saw it who saw Aristotle you know anybody that saw Aristotle ever see a picture of Aristotle (laughs) smiling you know people put their arms around him I'm with Aristotle you know no we're looking for that kind of evidence he's he's real he lived he died he ascended he's a fact of history and I rest on that so many times you did live Jesus you were here you lived a sinless life according to the Bible, and you died on a vicious cross for me? I was thinking yesterday, as I was watching this movie, I thought, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die generally. You know, for all the believers in that sense, he died specifically for me. He was thinking of me, paying for Dan's sins. I don't know how that all worked, but it wasn't just this general thing like when you go to war, and you're fighting for your nation and there's no specific anything there. Jesus was on the cross and he was dying for my sin and for the sin of every believer but it was specific. And he died on that cross and then there was this empty tomb. Three days later. is empty. You have to understand these people didn't want to They didn't know what to believe. They had to be convinced he was really alive. Thomas wasn't the only one that was really struggling with this, was really doubting. They needed to be convinced. What did they do when when Mary came and told them about what happened? They didn't believe it. What? There was an empty tomb. There were grave clothes that didn't make any sense. Made no sense whatsoever and there were 500 over 500 varying witnesses of Jesus resurrect, resurrected body after he rose from the dead imagine that that's not just fantasy land that's real stuff that's history and you see that's why sincere doubters need evidence to remove their doubts that's what the disciples needed. Take a look. John 25 through 8. And stooping to look in, he saw linen, clo- linen clothes, cloths lying there. But he did not go in. John is talking about himself there. Okay? Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Okay, so John and Peter run to the tomb. John was probably a little overweight, or uh, Peter was probably a little overweight like me because he didn't get there quite as fast. So John gets there first, and he's standing at the, at the open tomb, and he's just staring in. And Peter being Peter, which is why I love him, he goes just barreling into the tomb. That's Peter. What does he do? Look at what happened. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. That makes no sense. You have got to do a study and what those Greek words mean and what everything. It didn't make any sense. It was like Jesus was just he just came through it. And then the head covering was folded up. All the arguments you can read about him, you know them if, if you've been in church for any amount of time. And look at what happened. Then the other disciple, then John is talking about himself, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and what? And he believed. He walked in there. Why did he have to say he had believed? Because up until that point, I don't think he did. He walked in and he looked and he saw it and he could only come to one conclusion. That's it, one conclusion. He really did raise from the dead. John was a sincere doubter. He needed proof. And then we look at John 20, 26 through 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. You know what I love about this? You can know that when you have doubts, your omniscient God knows exactly what those doubts are. He knew what Thomas had said when he wasn't there. That's our great God. He said, Thomas, put your fingers in my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He knew it was true. They were sincere doubters, and they needed needed evidence in order to remove those doubts. There's times when you're not going to understand difficult doctrine. You're just not going to, because we can't understand a perfect, eternal God. We can't understand all his ways. You will not understand difficult doctrine and and some doubts that you have won't be resolved until you're with Jesus in heaven. That's just the way it's going to be. I've accepted that. I've accepted that. You know what? I know that you live, Jesus. I know that it's true. History proves it. But more than that, the Spirit of God confirms it in my heart. Some things won't be solved until we're with Jesus, but I'll say this, there is more than adequate evidence to support a reasonable faith that Jesus is the risen Savior. There's more than enough evidence. And if you want all your doubts to be removed you may be simply using your doubts as a smokescreen to hide the real issue behind it all. You don't really want to submit to Jesus. You want to walk in your sin. When one doubt is solved, another doubt comes up because you want to keep living in that doubt. It's just really not a sincere doubt, it's an excuse. All have unanswered doubts. Every person walking on this planet has unanswered doubts. But they still put their faith in something. And then they live by that faith. Think about that. The evolutionist, they have so many unanswered questions. It's unbelievable. They have doubts because they don't have answers. Yet they believe And that belief affects how they live day by day, how they respond to things. The atheist who doesn't believe there's a God, that's his faith. He doesn't believe there's a God. So what happens is that faith affects how he lives. I'm going to party today because tomorrow I die. There's nothing on the other side. It affects how we live. Everyone has put their faith in something and is living by it. Some people put their faith in man's knowledge and man's intelligence, you know? It's all about us, and we'll solve all the problems eventually, so we're going to believe it, and we're going to live by it, you know, kind of like they used to when they believed the earth was flat, right? They lived by that. That was their faith. Don't believe there's a God, but I believe the earth is flat, and we're going to go rolling right over the edge of it. And so we put our hope in man's wisdom, hope in man's knowledge, and we admit that it's not all there yet, but the answers are coming. Then why can we do that with man's knowledge? We are more prone to believe and trust in Satan and men's ideas than we are in the living God. Take a look at God's word again, 1 John. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he was born that he is born concerning his son. We believe in men's ideas before the living God before the history of the resurrection of Christ. That's why I say that biblical faith is not blind a blind leap into the dark. Our faith is not that. It's foolish to believe in something that you know nothing about that is not based on facts that you're guessing. That's why I can't understand a lot of what people believe in because you're just, wow, you really believe that. There's no evidence. The resurrection is historically true so our faith is solid in spite of the doubts that we may not ever fully uh, resolve on this planet. And The resurrection is historically true even though we may have incomplete answers that give the benefit of the doubt to an omniscient, all-wise God. I don't know how it works, but I trust you, God, even though I have my doubts. Isn't that faith? Thomas had many doubts due to disappointed expectations due to a lack of understanding scripture, in our case, maybe doctrine, due to a tragic loss that just rocked his personal world, his personal failures. But you know what's such a good news is this, that Jesus didn't ignore or reject or abandon Thomas. Jesus can handle our doubts. Jesus loved Thomas. Thomas. And he lovingly and graciously pursued Thomas. And he showed up and he revealed himself to Thomas. I said, No, it is true. I knew you were struggling, but it's true. Here, Thomas, I knew you were struggling. Here, put your hands in my side, in my hand. Put it in my side. I don't, I don't think we look at it. We, Jesus was mad. Thomas, you doubted. Put your fingers in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I don't see that. I see our loving Savior saying, Thomas, come here. Come here, 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 here. And you can put it in my side. It's me. It's real. I rose from the dead. So my conclusion is this. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't know Jesus is your Savior you have all these questions. Maybe you're a prodigal, drifted away from the faith because of questions that you had, doubts that you had. Maybe you're just a big doubter. You're here, but you have questions and the enemy bounces those off your head and you're not really sure how to fight those. I want you to know that no matter what you are, you're putting your faith in something. Why not the risen living Savior? Why not? His resurrection is historically true whether you believe it or not. You're putting your faith in something. Take a look at God's word. I love this. This is the conclusion of the book of John. Look at how it ends. John 20, 29 through 30. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Wow. This was written for you and me, that we might believe, though we have not seen Christ, So my challenge to all of us, wherever our doubts are, wherever you are in that spectrum of lost or prodigal or just struggling with doubts or even just wonderfully walking in victory, those doubts happen sometimes. My challenge is this for each of us. Honestly and diligently and personally, seek the answer to your doubts about Christ or Christianity in the Word, in God's precious Word, and in prayer. Seek God. You will find that Jesus is the only way, truth and life, as he said in response to Thomas. And by grace, God will grant you salvation or he will restore the relationship you had or have. That's the way our God is. And what happens then? What happens is God does this work and he He reveals himself to us in his word. He opens up our eyes and we see the glory of God written on pages that is just so unbelievable when you think about it. And we seek God and we look at the word and suddenly we see things we didn't see before and we go into prayer and we sense the presence of God even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of all these things. He grants that ability to believe even if it's just a, a little flicker He won't snuff it out as the word of God says. You're not going to take a little flicker, a little bit of light and snuff it out. But seek him honestly and diligently and personally and here's what will happen. You will receive a blessing because you will believe though you have not seen him. And I'm going to add one word to that. Yet. Yet. Because someday you will. And you will see the scars on his hands. Just like Thomas did and you will see the wound on his side. Glory to God. And my prayer is is that it is out of celebration that you see that not out of judgment. But you will see it. But as of right now, it's faith and God will grant that as we seek him. Amen? He rose from the dead. There is no doubt. There is no doubt. How are we going to take those facts and use them by God's grace and mercy to handle our doubts only by God's grace. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you today. The truth of your word, God, transcends time. There is knowledge there that is so far beyond what we could imagine. The living God, the omniscient God, the all-wise God, your words are written and right before us. So, Lord, I pray that you would Take these, your precious word and open it up to us, Lord. I pray for all those who are doubting. Lord, Wherever, whatever area it might be, God, would you draw them to your word by the power of your spirit. Would you open up your book, Lord? Would you reveal yourself to each of us in a fresh way that would cause the lost to be saved, the prodigal to return home, the doubter to believe. Lord, do these things so your name would be exalted in our lives, in our hearts, God. And that your name would be glorified in our lives as we stand and we wait for our faith to become sight. And we thank you for what you are doing and will do. And we pray this in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. Amen.